Hello, everybody. This is Inside Geocaching HQ, our podcast about what is happening at HQ in Seattle. I am Chris Ronan. My username is RockChalk. I am one of 80 or so lackeys who work here, and we really appreciate you having a listen to our podcast. This episode features Brian Roth, who is HQ's president and co-founder, and Sean Boots, our director of engineering. We are talking about Waymarking because Waymarking.com recently celebrated its one millionth Waymark, which is super cool. I imagine our listeners have a wide range of experience with Waymarking. Some of you may be really into it. Others may have only heard bits and pieces about it. Whoever you are, I think you will really enjoy this chat. So here we go. So going back to the beginning, when did the idea for waymarking originate? Where, where did it, who, who was it or multiple who's was it that, that originally came up with the idea for it? I mean, I would say um, one of the very first things that happened to me when I was hired to be a, to work at geocaching was to basically, you know, I was hired as a helping hand to do, to take on some of the coding work that Jeremy was doing. One of the things that was happening at that moment is that we were having some serious troubles with a few geocaching related activities. And so Jeremy was looking for a path to, uh, to, to figure out how to fix those problems. And that the, the two things were virtual caches and, and locationless caches. And so the site kind of came about as an idea when we were thinking about like how to solve those two problems. Virtual caches were overwhelming reviewers. Uh, people were putting really ridiculous things together and there was a bit of a revolt at the time and they wanted to do something about that. And then locationless caches were becoming a problem for the scalability of the website because so many logs were being placed under the caches and locationless caches are basically the equivalent of waymark categories. And so they're basically a theme like, you know, painted mailboxes or something. Somebody would place a geocache that said painted mailboxes. Uh, and then the locationless cache would be everybody would go find a painted mailbox and they would place a log that says this is where the painted mailbox is. And they would show the coordinates and everything. And that that people would put, you know, on certain categories, they would put thousands of these logs and it was just bogging the website down. And people were having a hard time opening up those pages because this is, we weren't able to scale in the same way that we are today. And so so also it was just like the the system was... It just it was hierarchically skewed incorrectly, right? Like it like technically those those locationless locations needed to be geocaches, um, and so we needed to create a, a website that would handle that uh, in a way that would work better. And so the idea of having these waymarking categories, which were basically locationless caches, would allow us to build a website that was kind of just like geocaching. Uh, only it was for these categorized types of virtual spots. And so we thought that we were solving both solutions because waymarks are generally just virtual spots, vir virtual caches. But in the end of the day, there was still desire from geocachers to have virtuals because it didn't quite, you know, you couldn't just put random virtuals. You, it, they had to be very specifically categorized like a location list was. What were the, I, I guess, the original hopes or dreams for the site beyond trying to just, as, as you kind of said, Sean, kind of solving a couple of very specific issues? 
were there other things that you were hoping would spring that you, Brian, the others were hoping would spring out of this site over the, over the course of years? I mean, sure. You know, in the early days, when we first looked at the problem of locationless caches and came up with the idea of waymarking, we had this thought that a, a user-generated point of interest database could encompass not just the normal points of interest like restaurants and post offices and things like that, but things that were not already cataloged in the world. So swimming holes, and as Sean mentioned, you know, hand-painted themed mailboxes and ginormous everyday objects, even things like, I think in the early days, we, there was a category for Pennsylvania historical markers. And if you went to the state of Pennsylvania at the time, they didn't have a list or a resource available to show you where all of them were. But here we had this, you know, the community going out and documenting the locations within the category. So waymarking became the data set for these really unique uh, subsets of data that were being documented by the community. And so we said, you know, oh, isn't it interesting that having a, a large enough group of people around the world, we could really document all different types of locations that may not receive the attention that traditional uh, locations would receive. And so we were excited about the project. We thought it would be a cool idea and we really didn't know what people were gonna do with it. We just knew that we sort of, as Sean was saying, we flipped the hierarchy uh, from geocaching to, to, you know, for locationless to be more appropriate for locationless so that instead of on geocaching saying, hey, here's a type of place and have people log it with the locations of those places. Now on waymarking, we said, hey, here's a, a type of place. And then if you have one nearby or if you go out and see one, submit it to this category. One of the other challenges that that was was addressed at the time was that because when we did locationless and even when we did virtuals, the problem that the community volunteer reviewers had was that they would, it was really subjective. You know, what somebody thinks is worthy of being a, a, a virtual wasn't necessarily what everybody thought would be worthy of being a virtual. So there was some, some that were like, you know, come discover this tree in my front yard and count how many branches. Or there was the, the one where it was like a, a moldy boot in the forest. And people were like, oh, you know, it doesn't make sense to send people out to do this. But when we go to waymarking, because there's all different types of categories, like, do we really want people submitting like a, a moldy boot category where people are going to document moldy boots? That, that didn't make a lot of sense. And so the, the concept that really Jeremy and Elias and, and maybe Sean, you had a part of this, I can't claim much credit for, was the, the concept of having groups maintained by group managers. So people would get together and they would say, hey, I'm passionate about this type of location, whether it was McDonald's restaurants, as in the case of Mr. Boots here, or dog-friendly restaurants, or um, public and private golf courses, or independent coffee shops was one of the, the early ones that I was excited about. And it was, you, you would come together and you, you would form a group you would define the rules for that particular category. And then as a group, you were responsible for maintaining that category and deciding, does this individual Waymark submission meet the requirements for being included and published on the site within the category that we are now managing? 
And so by having the group management, it really helped to create almost like a, a, a bar for what would be acceptable. And I think in that way, you know, we, we've ended up with now over a million points of points of interest um, that are not just uh, moldy boots in the woods or, or things like that. And in fact, there's, I think, something north of 1,100 categories of locations, and some of them are just fantastic. I mean, it's funny, Chris, because we should be interviewing you because you're the most active waymarker that we that we know personally, and uh, you could probably speak to a lot of this as well. Well, it, it's something that I've I've done a lot more since the pandemic because it was a great thing there, and especially in the early days when people really were unsure of what was safe to do and what wasn't safe to do. It really felt like going out and finding a waymark was an extremely safe thing to do, and so it's. It's fun to hear you talking about categories because that personally is what I've enjoyed trying to do is just trying to identify categories where I haven't found a way mark and then trying to find where there is one. And and it, when you were talking about, Brian, uh, Pennsylvania historical markers, and it, it made me think of, I was listening to a podcast, this was a couple of years ago, and they were talking about Moldorama machines and they referenced waymarking.com as a place to go to. <laughs> to find a very good list of the Moldorama machines in the world, which ironically, I still have not gotten one from that category um, because the places where you could get them had been closed <laughs> for the last year or so due to the pandemic. On that last note, one of the things that, that also happened that when it came to the aspirations for the site is that I think we discovered that technically geocaching itself is kind of like a geocaching, like a waymarking category. And we actually even at one time had a project to refactor our code bases such that geocaching and waymarking would be on the back end side of things, all one site. And they were going to all run on the same code base and, and they would still be separated as sites or whatever. But like, like because the code technically kind of works like that because it's generally the same general concept. We actually had plans to put them together in this in, so that waymarking would actually be a superset. And then geocaching would just be a waymarking category. But all the other categories were cool enough to warrant being their own sites as well. And so there were some thoughts that, that that could be something we could do is just like basically hand ownership over of those sites to the people who were running them in the form of those groups. And then they would actually have their own website that could technically be skinned and everything. But that project did not make it to the light of day and probably for the best, to be honest. But it was it was planned at one point and we actually undertook it uh, for quite some time. Well, that kind of leads into what I was going to ask next, which was about what kind of talk was there? How much talk about would there would Waymarking be integrated into geocaching.com? You know, would it be its own icon or something, you know, where you would get quote unquote credit for finding Waymarks on what kind of discussion, if, if any, was there about that in years past? We definitely had some discussion around it. There were discussions at, at one point about adding Waymarks to the geocaching app so that people could go if they wanted to find Waymarks as well. And I think we just felt like it was it would be too complicated and quite a bit of work to do that type of integration. And so ultimately, we decided against it. And really, what we decided around that time was that geocaching was was growing pretty rapidly. And, you know, we were a small company with limited resources. And we felt like, 
hey, here we have Where I Go, which is in a, a state of development. We've got Way Morgan, which is in a state of development. We really like both of those projects, but it feels like the one we should be spending the majority of our time on is geocaching. And so we really stepped away from day-to-day development with the, with, with the exception of some smaller projects and ideas that we had when really when Sean would have time to do work, he would go in and, and adjust the code and add the feature or, or make some correction or something like that. But it's, you know, at one point in the history, and I guess it was probably 2010, 2011-ish, we decided that, hey, let's put our primary focus on improving the geocaching site and the platform. And, you know, we're not going to turn waymarking off. And, you know, thankfully we haven't, because I know there's a lot of people, including uh, the three of us that are pretty passionate about it. And so um, it's been something that we've always thought was cool. And I think it's just as cool now as it was uh, 10 years ago. Um, and the fact that we hit a million waymarks, you know, all user-generated point of, points of interest is, it's pretty remarkable. It, it brings up one, one funny thing, which was in the, ver- in the very early days, when we were talking about this data set, we had the opportunity to purchase additional data sets that we could incorporate in. And we made the deliberate decision. We said, you know, the goal is not to have the biggest data set of point of interest data. The the goal is really to have the biggest user generated point of interest data set. And so, you know, when you look at that, all of the waymarks in the system, those were all created by an individual user or a, a team uh, submitted to the site, reviewed by group managers and published because the people in charge of that group felt that it was worthy. And that's, you know, for a cool project like that, it's a, I'm, I'm delighted that we made that decision so long ago because I think it makes the site even more special. One of the, one of the thought about putting waymarks onto geocaching is that I think that there was a time when we actually had regrets having not done that because we we believed that we believed at the time that if we had done it, it might have um, driven a lot more activity to the website because obviously people cared so much about fines and everything. And I think that the fact that we didn't do that actually drove us into the decision of making geocache challenges be a, a stat that we did show on the website. Which, which actually drove a lot of the activity with that side. But then, I, ironically, that became something that we regretted also because it took, because then it, like, because we wanted to get rid of it. Uh, and, but by having it be a fine count, it made it so difficult to pull that away because we actually had to take something significant away from our users. So we decided that was a, you know, so, so hindsight says the decision that we regretted initially was actually the right decision most likely in terms of how it affected the game, but we didn't know that at the time, uh, but it is, yeah, it's, it's very funny how it all just kind of comes back. It's probably a good opportunity to remind our listeners that on the, there's a sign on the wall of Jeremy's old office that says, let's make better mistakes tomorrow. And it's something that has been sort of a part of our culture for many, many years. And what's interesting is sometimes what feels like a mistake isn't exactly a mistake. And, and it takes a, a, a couple of years or, or more than that to get the right perspective to understand that, you know, maybe that original decision wasn't so wrong after all. And it feels like maybe that's one of these, uh, one of these cases. Yeah. I was going to say, you bring up geocache challenges. There's a lot of listeners that wouldn't know what those, what those are. They might know what challenge caches are, but geocache challenges were a very different thing. And 
maybe we'll we'll do a special episode someday about those. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we won't waste anybody's time. Or maybe uh, yeah, maybe we won't maybe we won't make the nightmares come back for the for the key players mm-hmm. on 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 that deal. But kind of going back to the beginning, Sean, what what was the development process like for waymarking.com? Who all was involved? Was it mainly you or were there other folks who were also involved with it there in the early days? In the beginning, like it was an idea that we, we only, when I was hired, there were only, I think, seven people in the office, including, uh, and, and actually Brian was, was I think, in one day a week at that time. Uh, but it was Jeremy who, Jeremy's process was like, he was the sole coder for geocaching at that time. And I became the sole coder for Waymarking. And so we had uh, Coco, who's the, the mother of, of uh, Signal. She was heavily involved with all the pixel art aspect of, of Waymarking. Like that's, that was sort of a decision that we all, you know, we all thought that pixel art was really cool. And that would, that would be a really good way to go with that. And so she kind of had a passion for putting cool pixel art type things together for the site. Jeremy's brother, Nate, was working for the company at the time. And so he sort of played a bit of a product role uh, where he and I like passed a lot of ideas back and forth with one another. And, and just, you know, on a day-to-day basis, we would just decide together on a thing that we would try and we kind of just threw it in and just, so, so it was really a, a bit haphazard and it was sort of like whatever we could think of that would turn this thing into a cool thing uh, was what we tried and we just threw it in there. And yeah, so it was basically, um, it was sort of, you know, and Jeremy and, and and Brian would have ideas and they would just, they would say, hey, we should try this. And I'd be like, all right, I'll give you, give me a, give me a month. <laughs> I'll throw that together. And, and, you know, so like things like the groups, which, which I think is probably the most complicated code on that website, like all the functionality with the automated, like reviewing system that's in that code. Nate and I were pretty meticulous about how to put that together. Like we spent a lot of time figuring out like what would be necessary and how that could be automated and how we would make that work. That was probably more of how it worked was that like throwing ideas back and forth. And then I would just go in and code it up and it would take however long it took. Um, It was very, just whenever you get it done, ship it kind of thing and, and, you know, do your best to make it, make it, make it uh, not buggy or whatever, which is, you know, as best as you can do with being a single person with no QA. We may have already said, but what year was this when, when this was all starting up? I was hired in 2004, and I think the begin the uh, the first iterate or the first released version of Waymarking went out. Uh, I think in August of 2005. I think is when it when it first started, if I'm not mistaken. That's when uh, yeah we basically anybody who who was a geocache uh, a locationless cache owner was given the opportunity to turn that cash into a waymarking category and automatically be accepted as a, as a, as a, um, you know, an, a category owner. This is before the groups was, it was in place. And then we would, in order to do that, we would have them retire or, or archive that law, uh, locationless cash. And so that was sort of the, the key. And then we just had all these, that was how we kicked it off basically. And for people who haven't, been to the side or maybe haven't looked, there are over a thousand categories today, which I don't know how many there were when you guys started. Sean, would you remember? Was probably, well, in terms of the location, like Catalyst Cash, I think it was probably like, set, I don't know, 50 to 70, I think maybe. It might might have even been as many as a hundred, but yeah. And, and those were all categories that didn't have to go through the peer review process that we have today. So we, we that's another system that we d- developed that was a system that you could, you know, people could vote on the new categories. And we had a, it was a, it was a whole complicated system to get new categories and in, in, uh, up, up, up and running. But um, 
yeah, I think it was something like 75, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Do you have certain features, each of you, that you feel like are, I don't know, Sean, that you're most proud of from a development standpoint, or Brian, that something that you just really think is really cool? Are, are there certain features that each of you particularly enjoy about waymarking.com? Yes, a- absolutely. Go ahead, Sean. Talk about scavenger hunts. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, Brian, Brian knows my answer already, but um, <laughs> I mean, for me, for me, scavenger hunts is, a, is sort of an idea that uh, it's an example of like how when you build a feature, it doesn't necessarily guarantee that people are going to use the feature. Uh, like there has to be some form of a, of, a, of a press to get people to understand what it even is. But I think for me, the concept of scavenger hunts is my, is what, what I, whenever I do Waymark, I use that because for me, it's much more fun. It's basically you generate a scavenger hunt based on, a, on some criteria. And what a scavenger hunt is, is just a list of, of like, you know, X number of Waymarks that you want to go find. It puts them into a bit of a grid. So you have like, sort of like a bingo grid of like, you know, maybe let's say nine Waymarks that you're going to go find. And it doesn't show you the pictures of them on the, on the scavenger hunt page. It actually shows you uh, just squares uh, with coordinates. And so you can kind of do that, do these, go to these geocache or waymarks, sort of like going geocaching. You just fall, you go to the point, it takes you to the location. And then when you find it, you can log it and then it unlocks that square. And so basically it's sort of like, it's kind of like a, um, it's a little bit like adventures, except that it's with way category, uh, you know, waymarks that are categorized in, in on the site or whatever. And so for me, I, I you know, I took a couple of trips to Europe and I did like a, um, I did a scavenger hunt in Salzburg, uh, Austria, and I did one in, in Munich. And, and it was like the most unusual and cool way to, to like experience a city that you don't know, because it's taking you to places like fire departments and uh like the, like you don't actually know when you set one of these up what kind of generated places is, are going to be added to it right so this is just this randomized series of weird locations that you might just go discover in a city and so when you pick something like munich all of a sudden you're just going to these crazy things and and for some reason for me like seeing the photos of waymarks in context is like really enjoyable for me. Like I really love to go to the Waymark having an idea of what I'm, I'm going to go see, but then I actually get there in the real world. And it's like, ah, that's how that puzzle, that puzzle piece fits into the real world. And it's just like some, there's something delightful for me about that. Um, so anyways, that's my feature. Brian. Well, for me, I had a dream one night, honestly. And I, I remember it. I don't remember it all that vividly, but I remember coming in and, and we had all these pixel art representations for each one of the categories. And I just, I, I woke up and I was thinking like, wouldn't it be cool to have a grid view of all the available categories that you could get? And when you get one, you fill it, it would fill in the pixel art for that category. And I remember it was like, oh, it's, it's a grid. Like, let's, you know, we could just call it a grid or whatever. And I, I came into the office and I had some conversations and I will say, and, and Sean can back me up on this. It was not a well-received idea. <laughs> it, it really wasn't. And except that Sean liked it and, and me and him talked about it. And he's like, Hey, I, you know, I think I can build this. And he put it together and we put it on the site and 
I, I know people used it. Like people were really enjoying it and people were playing games with it. Like, you know, fill a row or fill a column for bingo. And one of the really cool things that, that I love still love about it is that when you go look at some of the more prolific way markers uh, like yourself, Chris, but like uh, Bruce S for example, you can really get a sense of just how active they were or they are with waymarking because you can see all of the different pixel arts that are filled in on their grid. And it was just something that, that turned out to be cool. And it was a fun way to, to visualize everybody's individual progress, either in terms of uh, submitting waymarks or finding waymarks, or just go, you know, to go look at another player and see how they've chosen to, to participate. It was just really cool. It's probably my favorite feature because uh, it felt like I contributed something to the overall, uh, overall platform. But I know that, uh, I know people still like it. That feature is really great because literally is, it is extremely difficult to, as Chris probably can attest to, to get to actually like get a quote bingo, which is what people really, really liked. They liked the, they liked the idea of filling out an entire row of categories, uh, which is, you know, either you post or find, you know, a waymark of that category and then it counts. Uh, and then you have that whole row filled out and it's, it's very difficult to do that. Uh, even though there are, I don't even know, like what's just the hundreds of rows, I guess, or, or, or close to a hundred rows maybe, but it's, it's not easy to do. And, there are a couple of people who have endeavored to block out the entire grid. And I don't know that that's ever actually been achieved or not, but I'm pretty sure there's a few people that came very close. Bruce is some, somebody that, that comes to mind. I sh we should also mention that Bruce is, is one of the more important figures of the, the history of waymarking. He's, he's a significant contributor. Um, unfortunately, he passed a few years ago. He's a great, he was a really great guy, but very, very thorough. And he had a deep, deeply cared about the quality of the waymarks that he put into the system. Like he basically like waymarked the entire state of Missouri. Like that place is, is like probably the most waymarked place in the, in the, in the, in the known, uh, known world or whatever. But, but uh and each one of those waymarks was something that he put meticulous amounts of effort and care into. And so, so it's a really, if I were telling you where to go to find a high quality waymarking experience, I would tell you to go to Missouri. He, he actually acted as an administrator for the website for a while. He just, he, he was like the, the leader of the community. He, he was a, a, a really great person. Yeah. One of the things that that's fun to note for, uh, you know, when we just hit 1 million waymarks um, about a month or, or so ago, um, we had the 1 million waymark geocoin that was produced by Shop Geocaching. And as a way just to honor the contributions of Bruce S and Wayfrog and, and a couple other folks, we took their pixel art icons and they are on the coin itself. So we felt like it was just a nice way to, you know, say thank you and, and honor those folks for their contributions. And really, as, as Sean is saying, the Waymarking site would not be what it is today without the efforts of, of those people and quite a few more. Yeah, I would, I would echo that. Uh, I've, I've found a number of, of Bruce's Waymarks over time, and they are very thorough and very well done. Kind of going back, Sean, you, had, you were talking about rows. There are 57 rows. I, I did go and look that up, so I would, and they are, and then the columns like are- 
<laughs> and then the columns are lettered from A to T. I'm not sure why, if you even remember why you stopped at T, but it's it's A to T and now it's it's up to 57, 56 full rows. And then there are currently four categories in the 57th row. So <laughs> there you go. I feel like the idea with the letters was that we had a pretty good idea that it was going to go beyond yeah, I don't know. Like it's it's it feels like we could have gone to double A, double B, or double C or whatever. But I don't know. Like my what, what that crazy brain of mine was thinking at the time. Any, I I, I can't recall. I, I yeah, it's um you're saying across the board, it's A, a through T. Yeah. Maybe we right. went to T because it's uh twenty across. Is that right? Is T the the twentieth? You know, just because it makes the math easy. I think that's right. I don't know. I don't want to count the letters or sing the ABCs. I mean, right I know now, that's, I think that's right. I know that's why we stopped at it. It was because I think we decided on 20 being, the, but why we used letters to do it, I, that I do not remember that answer. Well, it may have been a little confusing to have numbers for the rows and then numbers for the columns too. I don't know. I mean, me personally, I think it's nice to be able to say, okay, I'm just going to pick a random one here as I'm looking at the outdoor altars is is 41A. So it's easier to say that than if it would have been 411, <laughs> you know? Right. I think that probably makes the most sense. And to be, yeah, going like T57 or 57T right. makes more sense than saying like 20TT or, 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 or BB or whatever, you know, so maybe that was the thought. Um, right. I guess it's funny to think about like six would have been a good way to go with that. But. It, it's funny to think about outdoor altars as just an example of a category. Like there's no book that you can buy that's going to document all the outdoor altars. I mean, who even knows what that means? The, the only people who really know are the category managers who have said, in order to be an outdoor altar in this category, here's what you need to show up with. How many outdoor altars do we have? There are 412 outdoor altars right now. Okay, 412. Yeah. I'll bet that's more outdoor altars than any other data set has documented as a category. That's just kind of cool. This oh, yeah, totally. To we used to have a list and I don't, we don't anymore, but we used to have a list of, of like, cause we kind of would keep track of um, categories that when you do a Google search for that category, we would be the first site that would pop up for that. So, which would, which would be sort of like a trophy for us. Like, uh, like we achieved the goal of being the, the, the primary source of, of outdoor altars or whatever. And so that happened on quite a few different categories. There were, there were several that's like, if you, if you want to find these out, you'll, you'll get, you'll get there through waymarking. It was like fishing holes at one point was one of them. But we were like the number one way marking was the number one, you know, response on Google for fishing holes. I don't think that's the case anymore, but that was years ago. There's another feature that is, I think, one of my favorite features. And I don't know, to be honest, I don't I haven't used it for so long that it might not work anymore, to be honest. But like it's called the way marking footprint. If you go to your profile and you had it, this is how it used to work. I'm, and after this, I'm going to I'm going to have to download Google Earth and see if this still works or not. But like uh, Google Earth, if you would download Google Earth and then download what's considered to be your waymarking footprint, it actually would plot all of the waymarks that you found. It would put them on the on the map and draw like a like a, a like a, a some kind of a shape around them. And what it would do is it would basically show you the territory that you had so so uh, you know so to speak uh, conquered or whatever by with your waymarks. Uh, it would show you, and then it would also show you 
based on how many you had found, it would color that shape a certain way. So if you were to look at somebody like Bruce, who had seen waymarks all over the world or had posted all over the world and had covered in a, a vast amount of territory, he would have this, his whole world would just be like completely covered with a shape. Whereas mine is much more focused on this area, Seattle, and, and, and then I had a couple other dotted locations where I found things. So my shape would be more like United States centered or whatever. And then, you know, his would be like this bright red color because he found so many, but mine would only be maybe like kind of a, a, a darker green color or something. Anyhow, it was sort of like a way to sort, you would see people who, who never left their city and only had waymarked, but they had thousands in their city. And so they would have these like small shapes, but they were bright red from having having um yeah so anyways i always thought that was super cool and the reason i thought it was so cool is because of the math that i had to do to make it work uh i had to find a special algorithm to make it work and i spent weeks trying to figure out how to make it work and i was very proud of myself so anyways the website started around 2005 what was the quote-unquote heyday of waymarking what what years was it at its most popular and I think it was pretty much from, you know, like it took a while to get it ramped up. I think like it took, you know, we generated some interest immediately, but it, but it kind of did, it got, it kind of kept moving up uh, by about 2008. It was probably getting to that point. And I think that its best year was 2011. And then it started to go, that's, it coincides almost entirely with like when we stopped throwing resources at the site, you know, like that's when you could, people were seeing that the, that the bugs weren't being fixed as quickly and, and new features weren't being added. Um, and so it had a bit of a decline at that point. So it went down to, you know, it got it, the, the, the 2018 was probably it's like low point. And now, well, we should talk about Waymarkly, um, which is, I don't know, people, I'm assuming people know what Cashly is, but Cashly is an app that's, a, a, you know, a geocaching partner app and creator of that app also created a waymarking app, which I think has driven a lot of interest back to the site again. And now we're all of a sudden seeing kind of a renaissance or whatever, or whatever, like a, or a re, I don't know, rebirth, I guess, because there's quite a few users that have all of a sudden started like taking to this again. And honestly, this, this Waymarkly app is the, really the missing piece of why, of what has always been missing from Waymarking. You know, Waymarking is super cool, but it's hard to use because it's a website. And so we're all using our phones. It's not that fun to put logs into the in a web code on a phone. You know, it's just not that easy, and it's not really that designed. It's not web responsive. It's you know, it doesn't have it doesn't nicely fit on a phone. So you kind of have to like mess with it. The the app, however, is really well done and makes it a lot more um, well, mostly for visiting waymarks. It makes it a really lovely experience. Chris, you've done it probably more than any anybody here, uh, um, but it's it's you know, given a reason or it's, it's made it, made it doable to actually play this game. Yeah. It's, it's really a game changer. I, as I said before, I got more into waymarking again uh, when the pandemic began. And at that time it was before Waymarkly came out and it was a, a huge pain to create a list of waymarks that I might want to do. I would download them all as each one as a GPX file and then load them into my Garmin and, or, or different things like that. So certainly Nick's project, Nick of Cashly, this Wayne Markley app for iOS. If you haven't checked it out, you should. 
ironically, Sean, you're not an iPhone user, so you have not been able to use the app. <laughs> it's yeah, trust me, it's frustrating. <laughs> it makes me so sad. No, I mean, it's make me. It's giving me incentive to make my make my own Android version. But like, yeah, that's that's a, that's. I don't know if that's ever happening or not. But it's something I've thought about. But yeah, it'd be really nice if we had an Android app. But, um, so I, I I think you guys maybe touched on it briefly, but. You know, we talked talked about the site's heyday. Then, could we talk a little bit about why the active development did not continue? I mean, I think you just kind of briefly alluded to wanting to focus on geocaching. That's kind of where the resources for a small company had to go at that time. I mean, that's really it in a nutshell. You know, we were a small company and we didn't have a lot of resources. Like, I think a number of people out there know that we're not a funded company, so we haven't raised venture capital or private equity. And we, we really fund all of our operations through premium memberships primarily, and then uh, merchandise sales from shop geocaching and some programs like you know, travel bug promotions and geo tours and, and some of the smaller commercial adventure lab tests that we're doing. And so we just didn't have a lot of resources and we were forced to choose at one point because geocaching was growing so rapidly and required a lot of attention. And we made a conscious decision to say, again, we're not going to turn them off, but let's put them aside so that we can focus on what we think is, is most important now. And I know all of us, myself are included, are just delighted at the fact that now there's a way, a way Markley app out there for people to play. And hopefully more people get acquainted with the website and the, and the, tool set and, and continue to contribute. And let's see if we can't get to 2 million waymarks at some point. Are there any future plans for the site? Is there anything that, uh, Sean, I know you kind of get in there every so often when you have an opportunity that you're very busy with your, with your job at HQ with geocaching related stuff. But I, whenever I talk to you, you seem to have different things percolating in your mind that you would like to get to if, if you had a few free minutes here. Yeah, I mean, we have, I mean, it's it's definitely continues to be a maintenance mindset with waymarking. I think we always want it to work. We always want it functional. It's, it's, there's been some thoughts about using it as a bit of a test bed for trying some, some experimental type ideas. You know, I've talked with our product manager, uh, director of our product about, you, potentially playing with waymarking as some some form of you know we want to try some idea first there see if it can it can um you know what you know how does it get received i don't, I don't have any really good thoughts about what ideas that we're ta you're talking about yet but like we've we've discussed the possibility of doing something to that effect I, obviously i um I have an interest in keeping the, the site up to date with latest technology and uh, under the covers at least so that it continues to run and that we don't have things deprecating on, under, under us and just having it break automatic. And also maintaining its, it being a secure site so that we're not putting our users at any kind of risk. That's probably the, the piece that's most in, like happening right now is just trying to just make sure that it's in a secure place. But yeah, I mean, I think you know, we built an API for it. I think that's probably the biggest like next step kind of a thing that's happened with it, which is why Cashly was able to build an app is that he was able to, to tap into the API. And so this is a thing that's available. And, and you know, I, I guess if the right 
person comes along interested in building an Android version or something, that might be something we would be open to. So getting people who are interested in looking into that, um, you know, it's not nearly so well documented as our geocaching API. And there's obviously, um, you know, there'll be some challenges with, with keeping that supported in the way that we do with our geocaching um, stuff. That, but, you know, like adding more functionality to that API is, is probably going to be the next more likely you know, if, if there's anything new that is added, that would probably be how we would go about it. You know, connecting that to the to the website too, so that the code is happening with with Waymarkly exactly the way it is with the website. I mean, there's some things that are happening like that that could happen. But yeah, so I mean, keeping it keeping it alive, keeping it moving, maybe throwing some experiments in there every once in a while with the very little spare time I have. I have some interest. I have some interest in doing that for sure making that API into something a little more be- uh, robust or whatever would be kind of pretty cool too. Well, for both of you guys, just as we close out here, hitting 1 million waymarks, that, that must have been pretty exciting for both of you, given that you've both been here since the very beginning of this thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's remarkable, really, you know, to consider that here we put this tool set out into the world and, and enough people adopted it to the point where, you know, 1 million points of interest is a, it's a really significant number, especially when you consider the amount of work that needs to be done in order to create the categories, administer the categories, go out and document the locations, you know, acquire the metadata to associate with each location, submit it, have them reviewed, have them published, to know that that's been done over 1 million times. Um, I, was, I always think of numbers as like, uh, you know, you, you go to a, a stadium. So like the Seahawks, you know, will play in front of 70,000 people. Well, how many, that's, that's more than 10 times filled, uh, 10 times filled Lumen Field um, and then some, and you're still not even at a million. And so to know that that's happened is just, uh, it's staggering. I mean, I guess when you're a little kid, you know, I used to measure stuff in gumballs and, you know, how many, oh, it's, a, it's 50 cents. That's 50 gumballs. And, and nowadays it's like a million is, it's a number that's really hard to comprehend. But when you go and you start looking through the waymarks and you realize that a, a category like outdoor altars can have 400 plus waymarks in it, it gives you some sense of just how we got to a million and how much, how much of a contribution it's been from the, from the community and for, from everybody involved. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the big key too, is that we had a lot of help. It, starting with Bruce and Wayfrog, like the, the, two, the two administrators that we've had that have mostly taken over administration for this website over the past, probably getting close to 10 more, maybe more years. Without that, I don't think this would be possible. So that, that's a huge, huge important piece of this, of this equation. But I, I also, but I will say that I, I think it takes a little bit of personal pride in the fact that this website has been able to be largely functioning on its own in terms of like, you know, maintaining groups of, of, of reviewers who are actually actively reviewing uh, waymarks as they come in. Like there's, there's a a huge number of people who are actually participating in keeping this thing alive. So the part, the passion of this community, even though it's not a large community, it's pretty, it's pretty small, but they have a huge amount of passion and they're, 
actively working to make this thing into what it is. And so for us to take credit for it is really wrong, I would say. I mean, it's it's more that we just kept it up. Uh, that's where we get to take credit, I guess. But it's really all about the, the, the people who love the site and who keep using it. And Brian, you're a waymarking officer. I am. I am. I have, uh, since we started it, I think I'm currently an officer in nine categories, but some of the original categories were started by me. So the independent coffee shops is one of them. I think dog-friendly hotels and dog-friendly restaurants are, are categories that, that, I've been, that I've been involved with and a number of others. I'm, I'm looking painted hydrants. I always thought painted hydrants were cool and it's, it's just fantastic what people have done with fire hydrants. And so documenting those. I think uh, you actually lodges. approved one that I submitted for a painted it's hydrant possible. a couple of years I mean, ago. I, I approved a, a dog friendly restaurant earlier today. You know, they just show up in my email and I'll go in and I'll look at the categories and if it meets it. And, and oftentimes I'll try and send a, a note if it's a cool picture or say like, oh, this looks like a, a lovely coffee shop in Chile. Like I'd, I'd love to visit there one day just to, you know, you kind of make a connection with people that are on the other side of this. I don't know. It's just another cool aspect of, of the site. You know, I've always enjoyed it aspire one day to visit some of these independent coffee shops around the world and see how many I can log and maybe get a mocha or something, but we'll see how it goes right now in my limited free time. That's, that's not exactly as possible as I'd like it to be. Before we, before we go, I have to tell one more story about, um, well, it's kind of a combined two stories. One is that the first category of waymarking was a McDonald's restaurants. And I forgot to tell this story when, when we were talking about the, the idea for why this site came into play. When I was, before I worked for Groundspeak, I had always made a, a like I had, I had kind of a, a thing for McDonald's. I was like, I ate it way too often. I really thought, uh, I just, I just, I don't know. I, I just had a thing for the, for the, uh, the branding of it. I just kind of thought it was kind of fun. And I know that that's like, there's a bunch of people that, that ha- feel the opposite and that's fine. But anyhow, I had this, I had this, we had this idea that we might, my, my um, one of my friends and I had a jo- an idea that we would want to um, someday we wanted to go and, and eat at every McDonald's in uh, the state of Washington, or, or at least in the, in the, in the general area. And when we went before this project happened, we actually thought that was a doable possible that like that was something that was possible but but now i realize that's not really that would be very difficult to pull that off but anyhow i so i i started thinking hey it would be kind of cool to have pictures of all the way mark all the mcdonald's is around and so i just had this sort of personal dream of like and and i never even put it together that that this site that i was building would be the perfect tool for making this goal happen until we started looking for content as a as a first round thing and so McDonald's became the first category. And, and ironically, again, that was probably the, the wrong decision in terms of like making this into something that people wanted to do, turning it our very first waymarking category is a commercial like like restaurant that has is polarizing and, and whatnot. I think like waymarking in the early years was branded as like corporate, but like, you know, McDonald's, this is, it's all about McDonald's. They didn't understand, people didn't understand how cool these things really were because we pushed too much that it was also allowing corporate commercial type things as well. And I think that was probably in hindsight, a mistake, but anyhow, Waymark number one 
is a McDonald's restaurant that is downtown in Seattle. And Brian and myself, when we went to celebrate the millionth Waymark, decided to go to Waymark One as our place, to, as our celebration. And when we got there, we were shocked to find out that it had been turned into a Chase Bank. And so I had to sadly archive Waymark One on the on the same basically week that the waymarking uh, hit its millionth waymark or whatever, and so we actually had to find a different waymarking McDonald's to go to for lunch. But but we had a very nice time. And what was what was funny about that was we went to this other way with this other McDonald's, and we were like, oh, we should make this into a waymark. And Sean took pictures, and we got everything ready. And then you know we got back to the office later and figured out that. It's already a waymark, and it was it was uh, marked by Jeremy. Wow, that's super cool. So, so yeah, we got to log a waymark rather than post one. Unfortunately, exactly, exactly. Well, th- th- this has been great. I've I've really enjoyed hearing some of the history of this, and I'm I'm sure people will also enjoy hearing it. Guys, thanks a lot. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, everybody. Thank you Cheers. so much. That was great. That was fun. That was Sean Boots, HQ's Director of Engineering, and Brian Roth, our President and Co-Founder. Go to waymarking.com and dive right into it. And if you're an iOS user, download the Waymarkly app and give it a try. You use the same login credentials on Waymarking as your geocaching account, so it is really easy to check it all out. Hey, if you have an idea for us to cover on the podcast, send an email to podcast at geocaching.com. I always love to hear from you. For Sean and Brian, for myself and all the lackeys at HQ, happy caching and happy waymarking.